Scripture this morning comes from the book of 2 Kings, verses 29 through 34. And this shall be the sign for you. This year, eat what grows of itself, and in the second year, what springs of the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. This is the word of our Lord. There are about 7.9 billion people who live on the earth today. That's a lot of people. They've got their own stories, their own ways of life, their families. They have different jobs, different careers. And then beyond that, we have thousands of years of history. Big events that shaped the course of history to where we are today. A lot of good things and also not good things that have occurred. So much has happened. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this question. Maybe you have. Where is my place in all of this? What is God's specific plan for me in light of my own life and what I'm going through right now? What is his plan for me? And I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about us pastors before we preach and prepare sermons, as we counsel, as we do all these things. We have no idea. We don't. We don't know what God's specific plan in this given time, given your state of life, what his plans for you are. We, we just don't know. I wish we did, but we don't. Counseling would go much faster if we did. And so this passage today that we're gonna dive into in 2 Kings, it's packed so full of truth that I'm excited to get into, but the reality of this section of scripture is it's not going to lay out specifically what God's plan for you is in light of all this. What we will see is the unraveling of God's plan and what that means for you. So we're going to dive in. If you've been with us in this series, we've, talked, we've been talking about uh, King Hezekiah, the southern kingdom of Judah. We've got the Assyrians, Sennacherib at the north. We know that uh, Sennacherib and the Assyrians defeated the northern kingdom of Israel. Effectively, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel have now been defeated. They've moved into Samaria. They now live and work out of Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, and they're continuing to move their way south. Sennacherib has come to the gates where Judah is, and says, I'm coming for you next. 
I'm coming to lay waste to your nation, to take over your land, to destroy your people, your fortified cities. I'm on my way. He even gave them a prosperous proposal. Like, I, I can make you this great nation. It doesn't look good for Judah right now. Sennacherib continues to boast about his exploits and all he's done. He's taken this land and that land and, and the, the nations that he took over, their gods couldn't even stop Sennacherib from coming in. So what makes Judah any different? Isaiah, who was prophet to Hezekiah during this time, reminds Hezekiah that God has a plan which involves Sennacherib and that there is hope he kind of reorients Hezekiah as Hezekiah was panicking. So if you, if you listen to Jerry's sermon last week, he talked about this section of scripture in chapter 19 of 2 Kings where Hezekiah prays. Hezekiah gives this honest prayer about how this is not looking good. But God, I know who you are. And then all of a sudden in this story, the tide just shifts hard. We're going to start in verse 21. I would encourage you to get your Bibles out if you have them. In 2 Kings 19, that's where we're going to be. There's going to be a lot of scripture read in this sermon because there's so much story to unpack, and we're going to try to do it within the next three hours. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's funny is that like the people on staff are like, no, he's probably not joking. Alan Michael will do that. No. So start in verse 21. Let me, let me set you up where we are. Hezekiah just prayed. Hezekiah just prayed to God, everything that I just mentioned. I know who you are. Things don't look good. Please come help. So now God is going to speak. God is going to speak through Isaiah, the prophet. But first, he speaks through Isaiah to Sennacherib. All right. Start in verse 21. This is the word the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion, she wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have mocked the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. And I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. So remember Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God to Sennacherib and God says, I, I, I hear you, Sennacherib. I hear you. I heard what you said about how you had ascended to the heights of the mountains. You have tore down the trees of all these nations. As a matter of fact, even the, the streams in Egypt are all dried up because of how great you are. I've heard you say all that. I've heard you talk about how uh, you, you tore down these other nations and not even their gods could stop you. I hear you. 
And then God responds. If you are someone who marks in your Bible, this is a place you're going to want to mark. Verse 25. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? Now, imagine being snacker right now. Imagine being there. You're standing on the threshold of going into Judah, beating your chest about all your accomplishments, all the nations that lay in your wake because of how good you are and how great your Assyrian power is. And God says, oh, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But did you not know that you are a mouse in the maze and I created the maze? It's a little dose of humble pie for Sennacherib. I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass. So Sennacherib has been beating his chest. Look at me, I, me, I, me, I. And God says, now it's my turn. He says, what I now bring to pass that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins. So he reveals his intentions for Sennacherib. You only did what I determined that you would do. Great job. A long time ago, before you were ever even born, I put this in motion. Now, God reveals what he will do with Sennacherib. So it's now, it's like, let's look to the past. I've set all this up for you. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do to you. Jump down to verse 28. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. He says, Sennacherib, you are nothing more than an animal. And I've got you biting on the rope that I'm going to yank you back with. I'm going to send you back exactly where I pulled you out of. I'm going to draw the line in the sand. And the line is Judah. And you will not go past this line. You can stand on the line. You can beat your chest as much as you want on the line, but you're not going to cross this line because when you go to take that step over the line, I'm going to pull, and I'm going to pull you back all the way back to where you came from, where I set you up at. You see, what we cannot ever forget is that God's sovereignty is over all the nations, we can never forget this. I think so often we just get into the people of Israel so much and God's sovereignty was for the people of Israel and he was leading them and shepherding them, which is absolutely true. But it is clear throughout all of scripture that God's sovereignty is over all the nations. You do not have to be a nation who worships God for him to have sovereignty over you. He made you, he created you. He was never afraid of the Philistines when they were pressing in. He was never afraid of the Assyrians when they are pressing in. He won't be later afraid of the Babylonians when they can press in. He won't be afraid of the Romans in the New Testament when they can press in. And he's not threatened or afraid of anyone out there today. 
He is in fact sovereign over all the nations. He has been from the very beginning and he is today in 2021. He is not afraid. He is not threatened at all. His sovereignty has nothing to do about us and our sense with him and has everything to do with who he is. It's him. Sennacherib scared Hezekiah and the people of Judah, but he never once scared God. Not once. So why is this piece important? Why are we covering this piece? Sennacherib did have a purpose. He did. But it wasn't about him. His purpose was to move in and invade on the northern kingdom of Israel. This was a punishment for them. Their sin had led them to this point, And God would use Sennacherib to punish the northern kingdom. Sennacherib's role was not for his own gain, but was a tool for God's purpose. Sennacherib's role was not for his own gain, but was a tool for God's purpose. The first truth we see in this scripture is that God's plan for punishing sin is unchanging. God's plan for punishing sin is unchanging. For those who are in the room who have had kids or, or maybe you remember from your childhood, when you discipline your kid, like it changes over the years. Like you can't discipline a child at 18 like you did when they were five, right? It, it changes. I was the oldest child uh, in our family. Uh, shout out to all the eldest children. Uh, anybody? We were the guinea pigs, amen? That's right. Uh, there was everything. There were spankings, groundings. I can't really hear out of this ear anymore. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mom, if you're watching, I'm joking. It was a joke. <laughs> you, you think I'm playing. I'm going to get a text. Um, <laughs> we do. It changes. It changes over time, right? Like our, our way of disciplining changes over time. And, and, and I say that because I want us to, to see here that God's does not. His does not. Punishing sin is the same for him and has always been. Sennacherib fulfilled what God wanted him to do and it was never to go into the southern kingdom. He was never meant to go in there. God said from days of old that this is what I now bring to pass and no amount of political power or military might could stop his plan for the northern kingdom of Israel. Sennacherib was part of the plan. He wasn't outside the sovereignty of God. He was always here. God's sovereignty is clearly on display. So what does this mean for us? The New Testament for us lays out in a major way what the punishment for sin is. We talk at Grace every single Sunday that you come in here, we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's just a part of our sermons. It's a part of what we do. It's a part of our worship. All of it is focused around the gospel. And the gospel literally in the Greek means good news. And it's good news because there's bad news. There's bad news. 
There is a punishment for sin for those who don't know Jesus. 2 Thessalonians explains it. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. You see, the truth of God's plan for punishing sin is a place called hell. Hell is a place of suffering, eternal destruction, away from God's presence, away from his glory. This is a topic that is not much discussed today. There's even branches of theology that have tried to take this idea of hell and add something to it to make it sound not as bad. Like hell is, is just a refining place. You'll go there for a while, be refined, and then when you're ready, then you'll be able to come up to heaven. No. The Bible says nothing to that effect. It is a place of eternal suffering, torment, destruction. A place where God's wrath is poured out consistently. This is a real place. This is not a scare tactic at all. This is biblical truth. It's what the Bible speaks to. Some of you in this room may be so immersed in sin that you don't even call it sin anymore. You become blind. You become numb, calloused. And God continues to bless you in it, so why stop? Listen, if we do not think that God takes sin seriously, then we are not reading the Bible. He clearly punishes sin in the Old Testament over and over and over and over again through foreign enemies. And today, it's hell. So let me speak to everyone in the room who is young adult and younger. So teenage and below, young adults, college students, anybody in this room, if there is someone who tells you that sin is not sin, run from that person. If someone tells you that a sin is not sin, you run from that person. Sin is sin. Sin is direct disobedience to God. And sin is exactly what Jesus went to the cross on his shoulders with. Your sin. His sovereignty is clearly shown here in another way. He had been speaking to Sennacherib and now he shifts who he's speaking to. He's now gonna speak to Hezekiah and the people of Judah. Now also keep in mind Hezekiah has no idea of all the things 
that God just revealed to Sennacherib. I determined it long ago. Hezekiah does not know that. So he speaks to Hezekiah here in verse 29. And this shall be the sign for you this year. Eat what grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs of the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors, the zeal of the Lord will do this. So now he says, listen, uh, your land is not going to be laying waste to. Plant your crops. Plant your crops. Sow and reap this year. And then next year, do it again. And then next year, do it again. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. It even says here, the zeal of the Lord will do this. The zeal is of great passion. It's like a jealousy. We know what jealousy feels like. We felt that at some point. It is a deep passion within us. And it is with that passion that God does this. He is so passionate about his people. And then he says there will be a remnant. A remnant. So what is this alluding to? The southern kingdom of Judah will be punished for their sin. They will be punished for their sin. It's just not right now. See, Babylon will eventually rise to power and come in and move in on the southern kingdom at about 587 BC. Right now, during Sennacherib, is about 715. There's still roughly 130 years until this happens. So God is saying, plant your crops. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Do it this year. Do it next year. Do it again. Because you'll have it. He says in verse 30, the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. This remnant that's going to come out of this, at the very end, they're going to come back to their land. And they're going to take root again. And the fruit of their worship will be lifted upward once again. And then he says, this is what I'm going to do to Sennacherib. Verse 32. He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So God says, He's not even going to shoot an arrow across the line. You know why? Because I'm going to defend this city. I don't know about you, but if I want someone defending my city, it's God. I want, I want him to be the one standing there at the line saying, you will not pass this mark. Sennacherib and your great army with all that you've done, all your exploits, all the nations that you have gone through, you will not go through my God. He will stand there and he will not be moved. That is what I know. And he says, I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. This promise that he made to David years and years and years ago, he's following through. 
this remnant that's gonna come through is the fulfillment of my promise that I made a long time ago. Guys, this story goes back all the way then. This was set in motion all the way back then. God's plan was set in motion and he is seeing it through. And the beauty here is the second truth that he has is that God's plan for his people is hopeful. God's plan for his people is hopeful. I've told this story before. My son, uh, Christian, is deathly afraid of dogs. Like, deathly afraid of dogs. And I know why. We have a neighbor who has two dogs, and they bark all the time. And there was a time, a couple years ago, Christian and I were playing outside in the yard, and it was close to their fence where their dogs go out and play. And his back was to the fence, and we were throwing a little football, just playing outside, having a good time. And she let the dogs out, and, uh, and the dogs just came running to the fence, just run to the fence, barking, blah, 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 just what they do. Every time they get let out, they bark at everything. Well, my son, he let out a scream that I don't even know like where that sound came from. This kid was so terrified. He dropped the football. He launched at me. He fell. Like he couldn't even get his feet together. It was, it was that. And so he runs into my arms. And those, those of you who are parents have ever had a, a, a scared child before, they run to your arms and then they squeeze your neck and wrap their legs around you and they're attached like a leech, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what he was doing. You see, Christian was hopeful. He was hopeful that I would be able to protect him from these dogs. So he ran to me as his refuge, a place where, where I could protect him from these dogs. There was a hopeful future that he was thinking about in this moment. And God does not tell Judah that it's just dread ahead. But there's hope. There's hope. The future it's hopeful. It's going to be rough for a while. It's going to be rough. You still have to be punished. But there's going to be hope. As a matter of fact, every biblical prophet, every biblical prophet always had two messages, one of judgment and one of hope. Always. But the people of Judah they needed this hope. If you notice, Snackrib, he was bragging about all of his exploits, the nations that he destroyed, that he took over, and he talked about how their gods never took care of them. Never did. I was reading a book a while back, and I'm going to nerd out for just a second, so just stay with me, and I'll get there. I'll land the plane. I was reading a book recently about reading and understanding biblical prophets, which is uniquely ironic considering I was preparing this text and reading this book at the same time. And one of the questions that the author wants to address is why the need for the prophets to write all this stuff down? Why do they write it all down? Well, Isaiah was prophesying nearly 130 years before what he was prophesying would come to fruition. So the judgment that was coming from Babylon to Judah was way down the road. 
And what we know about the people of Israel is how they so easily forget God. That's, 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 if you go and read scripture, if you go read the book of Judges, it says that over and over. They forgot, they forgot. They, they, that's what they did. And so they would write this stuff down, the, the prophets would, so that when the time came, the Israelites would know that this was a part of God's plan and it wasn't because the Assyrian gods were better or the, the Babylonian gods were better. They should never forget who God is and what his plan for his people are. So there are two people, two types of people in the room that this piece addresses. First are those in this room who are believers. Those in this room who are believers, maybe sitting in this room, and your, your marriage is just struggling. Can't agree. There have been days where you've thought about just calling it quits. Some of you who have struggled with medical diagnoses that have led to just dark, dark days. Some of you may just be in a dark season of life where you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. God says in his word that we have a hopeful future. We do. A future where you will not be forsaken but embraced. A future where you will not be forgotten but someone will intercede for you. A future where you will not be cast out but be brought near. We just sang this song. You heard David wonderfully sing this song one day. One day we will see face to face Jesus. Is there a greater vision of grace? And in a moment, we shall be changed on that day. And one day, we'll be free, free indeed. Jesus. One day, all of this struggle will cease. And we will see your glory revealed on that day. As believers, we have a hopeful future. God's already written the end of the book. We know it's there. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can join me. That, that's our hope. That's our hope and our future is that. The other person this speaks to is the person who is not a believer. Maybe sitting in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus. Please know that this God who, you can't read this passage without coming out a higher view of who God is. He is a transcendent God who created you and because of sin, lost you. And then he bought you back with the blood of his son, Jesus. Paid the price for sin for you. 
The scripture is clear on how to accept this gift. John, that those who believe in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, you will be saved. Let me say to anyone in the room who has never taken that step to follow Jesus, or maybe you're someone in this room who who thought you've been saved, is that there was a chasm between you and God. And he filled that chasm with Jesus so that you could be with him. That same God who put all this plan into motion, who created this very world with his breath, and who's already written the end of the book, he's offering it to you today. Isaiah, Isaiah, the same Isaiah who was prophesying to Hezekiah, wrote this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. See, Isaiah was prophesying, not only is there gonna be a remnant that comes out at the end of this, but there's also gonna be someone who is the hope It's going to be so far down the line, you wouldn't even understand it if I explained it to you. So I'm going to put it in these words. You're not going to get it. Babylon is eventually going to take you over, and you're going to wonder, where is God's presence in my life? But let me tell you, he's coming, and his name's going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us, and his presence will dwell with you forever. That's who's coming. That's the hope of who is coming which leads to the big idea of this whole entire passage is that God's plan cannot be stopped. God's plan can't be stopped. He's already written the end. Can't be stopped. Nothing he puts into motion can be stopped. Let's finish this. Verse 35, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went home, and lived at Nineveh. He was worshiping in the house of his Assyrian god. His sons struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. God sent an angel in the middle of the night, very similar to the Passover of the Exodus. 185,000 were killed. Sennacherib now retreats back to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and begins to worship. I want to back up just a tad. I believe it's in chapter 17. When we first meet Sennacherib, he has laid waste to the northern kingdom. Just finished And now he's worshiping the Assyrian God in Samaria. And in their worship, they sacrifice their children. That's where we first met him. But then we see his end. Back in Nineveh, worshiping the Assyrian God. And who kills him? His children. His sons. God's plan cannot be stopped. God is sovereign. This is the same God who 
continuously throughout the Old Testament delivered his people without them having to lift a finger. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He delivered them through the walls of Jericho. He delivered Gideon and his 300 men from the Midianites. Jehoshaphat was standing there on the line, three different nations pressing in. He says, stand on the line and watch. Watch what I'm going to do. And defeats the three nations. When God has a plan, there is nothing that stands in his way. Nothing. Before the end of Isaiah's life, he quotes God the Father when he says in Isaiah 46.10, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. All of it. So now what? We started with this question, where do I fit in all of this? As the church, with all that we've just discussed through this passage, God's punishing of sin, his hope for his people. As the church, it is our job to make disciples, to see lost people come to know Jesus and worship him so that they could make disciples as well. Not just in other nations, but here. McDowell County, USA, or Buncombe County, Burke County, wherever you live, this is what we're called to do as the church. This is where we fit. So how do we go about this? One of the things that we're doing is this thing called Who's Your One? You want one of these? You can pick up one back behind the, the lit tree back in the back. The whole idea of this is to invite someone who you know is lost to our Christmas service. At our Christmas service, we will clearly explain the gospel to give room for the Holy Spirit to move in the hearts of people and change them. So you can take one of these, you can write their names, it even gives you scripture on what to do, but this is a great start. And my, my hope, our hope as a church for this is not to get 2,000 people at our Christmas services. That's not our hope. Our hope is that someone who is lost walks into our doors will leave knowing Jesus. That's the hope. Our prayer also is for you all as you all do this and you pray for your one that you would grow in your uh, love for the lost and to reach them. The second thing to do would be this devotional. It is a great way to teach our children, the next generation, their place in God's ultimate plan. This is a good start. Guys, we serve a God who makes a plan and it can't be stopped. Let's pray. God, you are so, so good. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful time of worship this morning. Gosh, it is so rich to sing your praises to lift your name. God, I thank you for the gifts that have been displayed that brings you glory. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, who's never come to faith in Jesus, that today would be the day that you send the Holy Spirit to come and move and transform them into a new creation. Lord, for those in the room who are believers that may be going through a dark day, help them understand that there is hope. 
that you have put in place a future that is hopeful. God, I praise that as we are leading up to our December services, hoping and trusting you, that you would bring lost people into the doors, that you and your power, as it says in Romans 1, that only, it is only your power to salvation, not ours. I pray that as they come in these doors, that you would move in them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we had a ministry fair, and we asked our congregation to sign up in a place or in an area of ministry in which they felt called to serve. And I'm here to tell you and celebrate with you that we had 81 brand new members of Grace sign up to serve. So you're going to see new people on stage. You're going to see new people in the lobby. That's so, so exciting. If you would, please stand. I'm going to bless you. I also wanted to mention, if you're a first-time guest, that Alan Michael will be out there at the first-time guest tent. He would love to meet you. He would love to pray with you. Also, there will be people down here. If you need prayer, please come to us. We would love to pray with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. shame